we are continuing our study through the Bible, we come again this morning to the book of Jeremiah, and I would ask you to go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. The older I get, uh, which is still not very old at all, I... I'm learning to appreciate art more and more. When I was younger, I, I didn't really, um, unless it was a picture of a Ferrari or something, and that was art to me. But the older I get, I, I really am finding a deep appreciation for those who can craft something out of nothing. Michelangelo, or Michelangelo, depending on which side of the Mason-Dixon line you come from, said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. He also said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set it free. Uh, There are people in this world who can see things that most of us can't see. I think they would all, in some degree, fall under the category of artists, but it covers so many areas. I've met people in so many areas of life who have this ability. You know, it is an artist, of course, uh, looking at that blank canvas and seeing a finished masterpiece before anyone else does. It's even the, uh, the architect envisioning new life coming into an abandoned, neglected building. It could be a a mechanic who can already hear the roar of that neglected engine coming back to life and serving a great purpose. Or that sculptor who sees the finished artwork in that block of marble or in that lump of clay. I don't possess that gift I found. I look at a lump of clay and see a lump of clay. And so I need help in this area. Um, But I I marvel at those who are able to to see beyond what their eyes can see. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God sends Jeremiah uh, on a journey. He tells him to go down to the potter's house. And there, God is going to reveal a very special message to him, something that he would have had a, a difficult time learning anywhere else. And so Jeremiah obeys. He goes down to the potter's house, and as he's there watching the potter work with the clay on the potter's wheel, God begins to give him a deeper understanding of how God works in the lives of his people. In several places throughout the Bible, it uses the metaphor of a potter and clay as an image of Uh, a picture of how God works with mankind. In fact, there's a hidden reference to this all the way back in the creation account. I wanted to start with this verse before we even get to Jeremiah, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's a verse we've heard hundreds of times if we've been in church. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But what we don't see with our eyes in our English version, 
is that that word formed comes from the original Hebrew root word that literally means potter. And so what we see at the very beginning of creation is that uh, God is functioning in the context of a potter sculpting his clay. And we see this metaphor used many times in the Bible. And so today I want us to join Jeremiah on that trip to the potter's house and see what we can learn about how God works with us. And keep in mind as we go through this illustration that in these verses, and this will become very clear, God is the potter and we are the clay. So often in life, we get that turned the wrong way around. And we begin telling God how to shape things and giving him instructions. Um, And so keep that in mind. God is the potter and we are the clay. I want to read the first six verses in Jeremiah 18 to set the context for us. And then let's uh, just take a few minutes to unpack this together. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house. Now, if you mark in your Bible like we've talked about, that would be a green highlight there. Green means go. And we see it's so easy to miss these things, but we see a person immediately obeying God. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel. Long before the days when uh, a potter could go online and order clay and have it delivered to his house in a couple of days, they would have to go out and, and search for and dig up their own clay. And I'm told that they would usually go to, if they, if they were near them, swampy area, wetlands, or riverbanks. They were looking for clay that still had moisture in it that hadn't yet hardened and become dry and brittle and unusable in the hands of the potter. By the way, that's another sermon, and I'll just leave that for you guys to think about. And as they went out, they would never waste time searching all day to try to find the perfect clay, because they knew, if they had been doing this any time at all, they knew there was no such thing as perfect clay. But that was okay to them because the potter understood that working with the imperfections and all the junk that was inside the clay, it was all part of the formation process. And even those imperfections, even the junk and the gunk and the mire in the clay, all of that in the hands of a skilled potter could be woven and formed together to create 
something of even richer texture and beauty than if he had perfect clay to work with. You know, I've met people sometimes over the years who they, they want a relationship with God. They really do want to come to him and understand what this is all about, but they're reluctant to do so. They're afraid to do so because they just don't feel good enough. They, they, they look at their life and they see the imperfections. They see the failures and the sins, maybe uh, some habits that they just can't seem to get rid of, some addiction that they just can't break, something in their past that haunts them and scars them. And they're afraid that God won't accept them with all those imperfections. You know, the Bible makes it really clear that none of us are good enough to have a relationship with God. We know these verses so well. Let's hear them again, maybe for the first time. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous. No, not one. It goes on in verse 23 to say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a picture of someone who may be the world record holder in the long jump. By the way, have you seen how far those people jump? It's like inhuman. <laughs> it's really freaky to see that. It's bizarre. Um, but if you take the, the world record holder in the long jump, 20-something feet, I forget, and you take them to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you say, run as far as you want, as fast as you want, and jump. Even that world record holder's jump is going to look pathetic when compared to the Grand Canyon because he's going to plummet straight to the bottom. There is no chance uh, that he is going to make it across that great gulf to the other side. Not even Evil Knievel accomplished that in his ridiculous rocket jet many years ago. Boy, y'all don't remember that? <laughs> I had the Evil Knievel wind-up toy. Me too, man. Wish I still had it. But see, the, that's the bad news of the gospel. None of us are good enough to have a relationship with God, and we never will be. No matter how much we try to clean ourselves up, no matter how much church attendance we take on, no matter how much money we give to the church, no matter how good we try to be, we will always fall short of the glory of God. Boy, that leaves us in a real mess, doesn't it? Except for, there's good news of the gospel. In fact, that's what the word means. And the good news is that God is not looking for you to be good enough before you can have a relationship with him. He's just looking for you to be willing to admit that you're a sinner, to come to him and open your heart to him, to lay yourself, as it were, on the potter's wheel and say, God, begin to work on the imperfections. Work them out and form me into something beautiful. I want you to see one. It's not a small detail, but it's very easy to miss. All God is waiting for is for you to come to him, to, as it were, 
place yourself in his hands and trust him. We see something here in these verses we read. If you look carefully, you'll see that this marred, imperfect lump of clay is not lying on a cabinet somewhere. It's not in a plastic bag in a drawer. Where is it? Can you pick it up by looking at those verses? It's in the potter's hands. That marred lump of clay is in the potter's hands. And I'll tell you, folks, there is no safer place to be. There is no safer place for a marred, broken, messed up life to be than in the hands of the potter. Why? Because when the potter saw that this clay was marred, these verses tell us that clearly, he saw that the clay in his hands was marred, he didn't throw it out. You know, you know how much waste we produce in this country? It's mind-boggling. Because when we look at something and we say, oh, that's old, what do we do with old things? We're Americans. We throw it out, and we go to Amazon, and we buy a new one. This is why it drives me nuts that the Old Testament was called the Old Testament. I wish it weren't. I wish it were called the First Testament or something. Because when people hear, and you wouldn't believe the Christians I've talked to during this series, as we've been spending years now making our way through the Old Testament, the people who have come to me and said, Christians, I've never read the Old Testament. I had no idea it contained these kinds of riches. Why, why don't they read it? That's the Old Testament. I want the new one. This potter, as he's holding this lump of clay in his hands, and he sees that it's marred, it's defected, it's imperfect, it's stained, he didn't throw it out. He took the time to patiently work those defects out and form it into something beautiful and useful. Again, we have examples of this throughout the Bible. Here's one we can tie the New Testament in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. This picks up in the middle of a thought. It says, who? It's referring to Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Listen, you and I, I don't care if you've been saved 120 years, we should never stop thanking God that he didn't throw us out. Because he should have. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our failures. He knows our flaws, our fears, our sins, our hang-ups. And yet none of those things keep him from continuing to patiently work with us and massage those imperfections and to shape us and mold us so that we can be used for his glory. Now, in order for um, any potter to take a piece of clay and turn that marred piece of clay into something usable. He can't just take that clay and throw it onto the 
the potter's wheel and begin to shape it into something. That will never work. There's a process, a very special, specific process that the potter has to take that clay through before he can even begin to work with it. And when that clay is is first dug out of the earth, I'm told that the way a potter would see it and refer to it is that clay is basically made up of platelets. And when that clay is dug up out of the earth, if you could look through a microscope, you would, you would see that all those platelets in that clay are all facing in different directions. They're all out of alignment. And before that clay can become moldable, before it can have the strength it's going to need to bear up under pressure, all those platelets inside that clay have to be aligned in the same direction. This is a remarkable process to watch. I'm sure there are videos online that you can go and see this. But this, um, this process that they take the clay through, the very first step, it's a process called wedging. And they will take this lump of clay and put it onto a hard, smooth surface. And, and he'll begin to push down on that clay with tremendous pressure and he'll begin to roll it up onto itself and push down again and roll it onto itself again. Here's a picture. You can begin to see the pattern that forms in this clay as he slowly and skillfully rolls this clay and puts it under constant pressure in order to begin to align that clay, all the bits of that clay to be facing in the same direction. And oddly enough, potters can, can have their wheel turning in a clockwise or counterclockwise direction, and they have to actually turn the platelets in this clay to align in whatever direction their wheel is going to spin. Because if it's opposite, as they begin to work with that clay, it'll begin to fall apart. And so the potter takes that lump of clay and he pushes it down. He begins the wedging process and with skillful hands, he pushes and twists and rolls that clay until it has all been oriented in the same direction. And all during this process, that clay is repeatedly subjected to pressure. Pressure and then released. Pressure and then released. Over and over and over again, the potter patiently and skillfully prepares the clay before he even begins to mold it. Now, if that clay could talk, what do you think it'd be saying during that wedging process? It'd be saying, ouch, hey, stop it, this hurts. I don't like this. But if the potter could talk to the clay in a way that the clay would understand, he'd say, clay, you need to trust me. I know exactly what I'm doing. I have plans for your life that you can't see. I'm working with you. I'm molding you. And I know this is going to hurt for a while, but trust me, trust me. When I'm finished, you'll be a beautiful work of art. The clay doesn't realize it, but the pressure... The pressure is the thing that is required to begin to make it into something useful. Otherwise, it'll forever be just a lump of clay. And folks, be honest. 
Is there anything? Is there anything that can get your attention and orient you to God more effectively than pressure? I put these five simple words on the screen because I wanted you to see them for a second. Listen, pressure drives us to God. Pressure drives us to God. It puts us on our knees. It weighs us down with a burden and causes us to cry out to him and go, I need you. Help. I can't bear this pressure anymore. Why is pressure so important for us? Because you see, before pressure comes, to one degree or another, all of us say, I can run my own life just fine. I don't need God. I can do things just fine on my own, and we do for a while. But as soon as pressure comes, as soon as the bottom falls out of your life, as soon as you get the report from the doctor you never thought you'd get, as soon as you're standing by the grave of your child, sorry, Sandy and I met with some friends a couple days ago who lost their son. (laughs) See, when pressure comes, when the bottom falls out of life, what's the first thing people say? God, help me. God, I need you. Now, if our friends treated us that way. If the only time they ever came to us was when they were in trouble and they needed something from us, boy, we would have an attitude. we go, oh, well, isn't this nice? Look who decided to come calling. But you see, God's not like us. His love is so different from ours. God doesn't mind that we do that. He understands that we're dust He remembers our weakness. And so when we live our life that way for a time, I don't need God. I can figure this out on my own. And boy, the pressure comes, and we go running to God, ashamed even, standing there looking at our our feet, saying, God, I'm sorry. I need you now. God's love is so perfect. And so beautiful that he opens his arms and he says, come on. You remember the picture of the prodigal son? Got arrogant and cocky, said to his dad, give me what's mine. I want to go live my life. And his dad graciously granted his request. The Bible says he lived it up in riotous living. He was the talk of the town because he was rich. And then the money ran out. And the only job he could get was feeding pigs. And he found himself sitting in the pig pen wanting to eat the pig's food. And the Bible says, and he came to himself and said, what am I doing here? My father has food to spare. Why am I here? And he went, he got up, 
and walked back, went back to the father. The father wasn't inside watching TV. You know where the father was? He was on the front porch looking every day. Maybe today. Maybe my son will come home today. And boy, when the pressure was turned up, the son came home. The father didn't stand there with his hands on his hips. Well, well. You know what it says? The father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is a picture of our Heavenly Father. And folks, I'm going to tell you, you and I can grow angry and bitter when pressure comes into our life. That thing we never expected, that trial we never imagined we'd go through. It's so easy to become bitter at God. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you when pressure comes. Allow it to, to turn you to God, to orient you back to God, to cause you to run to him and say, Father, put me in your safe hands again. God allows pressure to come into our life. Not because he doesn't care about us. He allows it to come so that you'll turn back to him. That's what he wants you to do. Because there's something you need to know. Before you were even born, God had a plan for your life. And all that time you've been running, doing life on your own, those blueprints have been sitting on God's desk. And he looks at it and says, boy, oh boy. If only, if only he would let me bring this about in his life. What he's out there accomplishing, the things he's pursuing, the things he's achieving and attaining, they're minuscule in comparison to what I want to do for him. Listen, there's so many people I've met over the years who don't think their life has any purpose. Maybe they were abused as a child. I've met people whose father literally looked at them and said, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. And as a 40 or 50 year old man, that man is still carrying those scars. And he's still trying to prove to himself and to his father and to, to the world that he does have worth. That may be you this morning. Or maybe you, like me, weren't a planned child. You were an accident. But I want to tell you, there are no accidents with God. He's planned your life long before it ever came to be. Psalm 139.16 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance or my unformed body. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a plan for your life, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. But because of the fact that all of us have been marred by sin, our life was like those platelets in that clay. They were, they were all disoriented. They were all facing in the wrong direction. And in order for God to bring forth his plan for your life, he has to begin applying pressure to you. He, he has to begin orienting all those things in your life to begin conforming to the potter's will. But pressure is not the only thing the potter does with the clay. 
Before it gets better, it actually gets worse. After the potter puts that clay on the wheel and forms it into the shape he desires, now it's time for that vessel to go into the furnace. And the furnace is hot. The heat of that furnace burns for hours, and it burns away the the remaining impurities in that clay, but it also strengthens that vessel for use. And it hardens it. It makes it strong. Now, different types of clay, I'm told, require different temperatures in the furnace, in the kiln. Some pottery uh, can be put in the kiln at about 1,800 degrees. Other pottery requires that it goes up to 2,700 degrees. There are times when God will allow the heat to be turned up in your life. And you may say, God, this is too much for me. This is too much heat. I can't handle this. I'm not going to make it through this. But listen, the master potter knows precisely how much heat you can handle because he knows exactly what you're made of. And that may be different from the person sitting next to you. And it's easy for us to look at someone else and go, what about them? They seem to be getting off easy. Look what I'm going through. God says, it's okay. You're going through this because you're incredibly hard-headed, Phil. (laughs) And I need to turn the heat up a little bit more before you get it. So what does this require on our part? Well, it requires that we recognize the potter's authority, that he is in charge, we are not, and it requires that we willingly surrender ourselves to him. Imagine if clay had a choice in this process. How many of those lumps of clay would be sitting there watching what their friends have gone through, watching that furnace door close, and say, I'm out of here. And they'd get up and jump off that table and run back into the woods down to the creek. That's exactly what we want to do so many times. But we must learn. We must discipline ourselves to understand and to lean into the truth that the potter is in charge. We are not. And the potter knows what is best. We do not. I would never have scripted my life the way it's gone. But God knows what I need to keep me on my knees, to keep me on a very short leash. And we must come to the place where whatever the potter shapes us into, however high he has to turn up the heat, that we'll learn not only to willingly say, but to joyfully be able to say, God, I trust what you're doing because you are the potter and I am the clay. How sad it would be for us as followers of Christ to spend our whole Christian life fighting back against what the potter is doing and get to the end and be this half-baked vessel That is of no use to anyone. And it's put on a side shelf to gather dust. What a shame. Our natural tendency is to fight against him. 
We don't want the shaping. We don't want the furnace. But whenever we do that, it means we've forgotten who's in charge. Romans 9.20 says this, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? This is a picture of that formed vessel now on the potter's wheel looking up going, what? An ashtray? I wanted to be a flower face. Imagine the clay talking back to the potter. And not only that, but challenging the potter and saying, why did you make me like this? Hey, hey, that may be a funny metaphor. You know how many people I've met who go through their whole life angry at God because of the way they were made? Angry at God. This is exactly the lesson God is showing Jeremiah. Look again at verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 18. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Look. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Listen, there are going to be times in this process when you will still want to cry out and question everything that God is doing in your life. And to a point, even that's okay. Let's not forget that Jesus himself, when he was here on this earth in human flesh, he knew what it was like to be put under unthinkable pressure. He knew what it was like to be put into intolerable heat. As the time drew near for him to go to the cross, we're told this in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus speaking, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's a question. He's asking. I'm about to die on the cross. This heat's getting turned up. Whew, what should I pray? Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But then he says, no, no. For this cause came I unto this hour. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Just a few hours later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. And he was on his knees weeping and praying to God, and he said this in Luke twenty-two forty-two: Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. The cup is a picture of judgment coming. Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. <laughs> wow. Folks, listen, I, I'm not, I've never stood up here and told you the Christian life is easy. I'm telling you it's hard. It's not easy being on the potter's wheel. It's not easy being put under pressure. It's not easy being put into the heat of the furnace. But God is at work creating something in you far more amazing than you could ever imagine. 
I want to show you what can happen when a simple lump of clay surrenders to the hands of a skillful potter. Put that picture up. This vase you're looking at was sold in 2014 for $3.7 million. Today it's worth over $5 million. Now listen, that lump of clay had to spend a lot of time in the hands of the potter and in the furnace before it was ever transformed into such a treasure. But folks, I want to tell you that's nothing compared to what God wants to do in your life if you will let him. You are of far greater value than a $5 million vase. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Oh, here's the part we don't like. These three cursed words. That he may exalt you. Hooray! Wait a minute, the verse isn't over. In due time. Boy, do we hate that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You have to go down before you can be lifted up. You have to be crushed before you can be made whole. But in due time, God will do what he has promised in your life. Maybe you're there today. Listen, my desire for myself, my desire for my family, my desire for all of you is that we would be the kind of clay that God can work with so that our lives will bring him glory and honor when it's all said and done. I've watched people die without Christ. I remember years ago being called to the hospital. A person said, um, my father's been a heretic his whole life. He wants nothing to do with God. Would you please come and try one more time? And I walked in, and it was very clear the man was on his last few breaths. And I knelt down beside the bed, and I said to him, Sir, my name is Phil. I came to talk to you about your soul. And he mustered the strength and turned to me and said, get out. And that was it. What a waste. Contrast that with March 15th, as my sister and I sat with my dad for two weeks in the hospital. We saw him in unbearable pain. And every single person who came into his room, he said, come here. And he took their hand. And he said, hon, do you know the Lord? He said, let me pray for you. And he spent even the last hours of his life being a vessel useful in God's hands. Which one do you want? Hey, it's not God's choice. It's your choice. 
Are you willing to surrender yourself to the potter? Say, God, I have been so completely mixed up. My life has been so disoriented from what you want. God, I come to you today. I lay myself on the potter's wheel. I invite you, Lord, to apply the pressure to mold me and shape me into whatever you see fit. And God, turn up the heat. Take those impurities away and strengthen me so that I will be a vessel worthy of honor that will bring you glory. We're going to sing a couple songs right now, and this will all be over. This is your chance to respond. If God is speaking to your heart right now, you do business with him. Call out to him in this moment. If I can help you, I'll be at the back. Be more than happy to help you. We'll have a lady at the back as well if we can help you. Oh, listen, don't fight the potter any longer if that's what you're doing. Don't fight the potter. Your life will end up in disarray and humiliation and shame. Come to him today. Bring your life to him and let him make something useful of you. Let's pray. Father, I bring this sweet church family to you. I thank you for them. I thank you for the hearts represented here, people who truly want their life to count for you. God, I thank you so much for the church you've assembled here. People who aren't bickering and fighting and wanting their own way. God, we have a church of people who truly want to live for you. God, would you honor that? I pray, Lord, for any of us here today who may be holding something back. We may be trying to hold a part of our life back, some addiction, some habit, some sin. And we think, oh, we can't bring this to God. God, I pray you would help us see and understand today from this lesson at the potter's house of how that is keeping us from being what you want us to be. Lord, would people all across this auditorium today come to you in prayer as we sing these closing songs. I pray, Lord, that they would call out to you, that they would once again offer their lives to you as a willing, living sacrifice for you to do with them as you see best. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him.
my heart. 